0: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars.
1: Hey everybody, Dr. Nick here with another exciting episode of The Hospitality Spirit. Today I am joined by Pierce Barron. Pierce is a native of San Jose, California. In 2010, he moved to Chicago to complete his studies in DePaul University School of Hospitality Leadership, located inside the Driehaus College of Business. While there, Pierce majored in business with a concentration in lodging management and a specialization in revenue management. He also holds a hotel real estate investment and asset management certificate from Cornell University. Pierce has worked, been exposed to, and grown through many avenues of the hospitality industry, including back of the house positions, front of the house positions, operations, and sales. Throughout this process, Pierce has developed into an engaging and passionate hospitality leader. Currently, Pierce serves as the assistant director of sales at one of First Hospitality's newest properties, the Hiltons at McCormick Place. Outside of his career, Pierce has an extensive background in sports, with a specific focus on ice hockey, which he's played since the age of four. Pierce, thanks for being on the Hospitality Spirit.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Nick, for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: So it's been a great adventure having you as a student and then following your career and seeing how you've engaged in the industry. And we've got so much to talk about today, but in true hospitality spirit form, we're going to start with the present. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at the Hilton's McCormick Place, overview of the property, things that make it unique uh, in this market?
0: Absolutely. Well, I started with the hotel about four years ago Um, which was technically a part of its pre-opening stage, which was a really neat and unique time for me to be involved in seeing something built from the ground up. And I was, as I started at the property, was the senior sales manager handling and developing the convention market. So anything that was 3,000 room nights or less on peak, Mm -hmm. uh, what we refer to as mini wide conventions that technically ourselves and a couple other hotels I'll talk about that are all connected to the convention center Uh, work collectively on together, um, and then promoted into this current role that I'm in in late 2021, um, handling kind of the larger citywide conventions over 3,000 room nights on peak um, and involved in just the day-to-day of our sales team efforts um, as a whole to try and bring as much business as we can down to this great property of ours.
1: And it's for those that aren't familiar, just real quick, I mean, from a location standpoint, Tell the tell the listeners a little bit about McCormick Place and what it is. So, we're more than likely to have some listeners here that maybe aren't from Chicago or aren't familiar with what we have here in terms of convention facilities.
0: Absolutely, and McCormick Place is the lifeline of this city. Um, This is the 2.6 million square foot convention center um, located in kind of the heart of the South Loop of Chicago. Um, It's got four different buildings, each can provide great and ample options for any sort of meetings and events. Um, That again, Chicago in itself is such a great destination city, middle of the country, four hours from coast to coast, um, and can be of great service to any sort of company or association. So again, it's just kind of, it's a lifeline, um, if you will, and I know I just said that, but um, truthfully is in terms of the ancillary revenue spend within the entire city from any of these shows or conventions that take place here. We can use one that's coming up in June that I think most every hotel's um, preparing for in ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology, where um, just the amount of spend that takes place throughout this entire city to hitting restaurants, hotels, businesses, it just has such an impact. So um, hopefully that helps answer a little bit in terms of what this McCormick Place Convention Center is.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you actually hit on a really important topic that people don't necessarily think about when they think about... This The multiplier effect, if you will, that if a guest comes and is coming to, let's say, the ASCO convention in June, yes, they're going to stay at your hotel, um, but then they're also going to use taxis and Ubers. They're going to go to the restaurants. They're going to go shopping on Michigan Avenue. They're going to go to the art museums. Depending on the time of year, they might go to a sporting event. Conventions like this and a destination like this, it's also not uncommon for people to maybe... Stay after or arrive before. Maybe bring family. Kind of mix business and leisure simultaneously uh, in a stay. So that multiplier effect is tremendous. This is this is why we will stand up on our soapboxes and we will continue to scream that conventions and large scale events, particularly citywide events, are so crucial for the hospitality and tourism industry of a city like Chicago.
0: Yeah, and I th- and you know I think that's a great point that you made as well, in that we were the biggest to get hit 24 months ago at the start of COVID, but I really do think that the convention business will be that first to come back. And um, in terms of the trends of, of what size scale meetings and events are coming back in, it doesn't much matter because we just have so much square footage to be able to encompass and embody additional meetings um, here within the walls in Chicago. So it, it's been a great experience thus far um, in the four years that I've been down here working in this convention market.
1: So we know there is no such thing as a typical week in the hospitality industry. It's one of the reasons that people are drawn to this industry for a career. But in your role in sales for this unique property in extremely close proximity to one of the biggest convention centers in the world, what does a typical week look like for you? I mean, are you at the property most of the time? Are you out on sales trying to drum up business? Are you traveling? What does that week look like for you? assuming we're in a post-COVID pandemic environment. I mean, obviously during COVID, things are a little bit different, but let's look to the future. Let's be optimistic.
0: Yeah, and that's a great question. It's full of fun curves and turns, uh, but anything that comes in front of me, I think I try to learn from as best as I can. Um, And to kind of help answer that question, I'll give a little bit of detail back into the property a bit, um, because I think that can help support in what this answer looks like. But our Hilton's at McCormick Place is Hilton's first ever tri-branded hotel. Oh, interesting. So, and that was of August of 2018. So, a first of its kind. So, we kind of have the binoculars from Hilton looking down on us at all times to monitor and track how we're doing. We're 466 rooms split into these three unique brands Hilton Garden Inn, Hampton Inn, and Home 2 Suites. Um, so, we can kind of act as a 466 room hotel or individually to each brand. Just depends on the type of traveler and guests that you're having come stay at your hotel or what they might be coming in for. Mm-hmm. Five outlets for a 466-room hotel, which I've never heard of before.
1: That's a pretty it's a pretty impressive ratio.
0: It definitely is. With a 13,000-square-foot rooftop called View uh, with two terraces overlooking all Chicago has to offer. Something that the South Loop of Chicago hasn't had previously, Fat poor Tapworks, which those folks that are native to Chicago would know. Fat Porn Wicker Park, um, but a great kind of sports bar-type field that's run by Big Onion Hospitality. Apollonia um, by Michelin chef Stephen Glanders, who also great, has great Sky and Pilsen. Yep, great yep. Mediterranean cuisine.
1: Little plug there, fellow UNLV alum. Let's there we go. Real quick.
0: <laughs> and Heidi Lau Hot Pot, um, which is oh, a place. super unique experience for anyone here locally who has not tried it. Um, I encourage them to come with the group of people, um, They have a robot deliver food to your table. They do a dancing table.
1: You can't undersell that. They literally have a robot that will bring you food to your table. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. So it's we have all these plethora of options for people while trying to still be that smaller scale neighborhood type hotel, um, but can also kind of grow ourselves to be that pseudo convention hotel. So I think in terms of our property, its features and amenities, we want to pay homage to our location and going back a little bit of the motor row here, which is just on South Michigan Avenue, which was Chicago's original auto district. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of our hotel, whether it's meeting spaces, just the feel, the vibe, the ambiance, all kind of pay memento to that Um, and what this area You know, has been and will become. Um, There's not many other places within the market to build, Mm -hmm. um, to develop, to grow. And this is the area that it's all happening and happening very fast. So I think we're, you know, first and foremost, just excited to be a part of the fabric of the community here. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of how that, you know, this whole property takes a typical, you know, work week for me and what that looks like is that first and foremost, trying to book business for the hotel, whether that be by traveling, visiting clients locally. Um, bringing people in for site tours. The reason why I brought in all the details of our property, it's an education piece. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. Um, we have to tell everybody that. We can sit there and through applications like visiting media that showcase 360 photos of space, 3D diagrams. Everyone can say, well, gosh, those pictures might've been from six, seven, eight years ago. Well, no, it, it's not always that way because again, a newer property that was um, you know open in late 2018, but it also is effective if you can get somebody here, you show them the property, it's comparable to other hotels directly connected to the convention center being the Marriott Marquis and the Hyatt Regency McCormick Place. It's unlike these brands in terms of what you might know nationally, it's a much elevated experience from them. Just a unique concept that, again, Hilton First Hospitality partnered on doing.
1: So is a lot of that business then, are are you going out and kind of Cold, for lack of a better term, cold calling, knocking on doors? Or are these RFPs coming in through a centralized system, whether it be Choose Chicago or from Hilton Corporate? Where, where are you getting the the business, or is it a combination of lots of different streams?
0: It's a combination of a lot of different streams, um, whether it's Choose Chicago with being such a great partner to you know all of our hotels and w- within the city, strumming up business that way, going on uh, sales calls with the campus And when I say campus, meaning McCormick Place, Choose Chicago, Marriott Marquis and Hyatt, McCormick Place, and trying to lure folks to the fact of you don't have to step outside if you're staying at one of our three hotels and having all three major brands being Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, all connected, that should drive attendance for any sort of event planner um, and company wanting to see strong attendance within any sort of meeting or event that they're hosting. Um, which I think we've seen over time be kind of the most important uh, aspect um, is continued growth and why not? Yeah. And and I think a lot of those, whether it's RFPs, yeah, we're doing a lot of the legwork in in terms of digging and trying to find a reason to push the city of Chicago. I I feel like sometimes kind of the role changes from not just supporting this hotel, but to pushing the city, Mm -hmm. Um, which to me, I I think it's it's a great task. Um, It's a bigger picture. Um, it, it's creating that ancillary spend for the entire city. It's almost an obligation, if you will. Sure. To try and be that, um, that lifeline.
1: So you and I've known each other for a while cause you were a, a great student. I actually remember you, I actually think I first met you in your hockey days. I was out at, uh, a late night DePaul hockey club game. Think, That's right. You guys, you guys played late. You guys played at like 10 or 11 o'clock on a Friday night out in deerfield It was always, it was always fun. That was the only time you could get rink time. Um, but it's been interesting kind of following your career. And, and I knew you really as a somebody really interested in lodging, but in revenue management. And you've worked in the front of the house, the back of the house, rooms. I, I'm curious, for somebody listening right now, I think a lot of what going to school for hospitality is about is about self-exploration. It's about saying, you know, I know I want to go into this industry. I'm just not entirely sure what I want to do. Can you think back or, or was it somebody or was it some, something that you participated in that kind of took you, because you really seem to have found your niche in sales. And that seems to, you're just, it was like a rocket going up once you found that. I mean, what was it that drew you to sales as opposed to F&B or go in the front office, housekeeping, room res, then up into assistant GM, GM kind of path?
0: Well, funny thing about it is that through the DePaul Hospitality Program, um, which I only have the utmost respect for, um, I wanted to see all facets of the industry and kind of just work my way from that mantra into the sales realm. Um, Through coming out to see Chicago in high school um, while living and growing up in California, we'd come out every September for hockey tournaments. So it's a great time of the year, awesome time to just tour and basically fall in love with the city, Um, its people, and mainly its architecture. Um, so while doing a boat tour, shout out Wendella. <laughs> I mean, everybody loves the seven. boat. I
1: mean, you got You got to do the architecture tour. I mean, yeah, that's, it's definitely, I think I've done it. I still do times, them today. Yeah.
0: 17 or 18 times, I swear. Um, but I couldn't get enough of understanding more about the city, its history, the architecture and falling in love with Trump Tower. I mean, it sits there so amazingly tucked in right along that curve in the river. But the the way the sun hits off the building, to me, it's personally the most beautiful building I've ever seen. So I told myself once I moved here and ended up going to DePaul um, that I'd really try to work there. And truth be told that after my freshman year and some introductory courses at DePaul, I found my way into a summer job on that 16th floor terrace as a, a server assistant.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think a lot of DePaul students did that, if I remember correctly. There was like three or four of you guys that were over all over there together, wasn't it?
0: There was um, a couple other folks, and I think some in some different departments as well, but honestly can say such a great experience and a great way in to the hospitality world. It's not as if you have to reach for the stars with that first position. It's getting yourself your foot in the door and working hard and trying to best develop and grow yourself. Well,
1: and sometimes we talk on the podcast about, you know, that first job or those first couple of jobs you get are it's a, it's actually answering the question, maybe this isn't what I want to do. I know I want to be in this industry, but you know what F&B's maybe not for me. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't match up with what I'm looking for and I would challenge someone to tell me of another industry where there is the flexibility and frankly to be completely honest, the encouragement to try lots of different things until you find what fits well with you.
0: Well, and that's because you just won't know until you try something and then it's word of mouth. It's having great mentors that can help you get into other departments that you might not have seen. I know from being the server assistant, it was then down into being a bellman, which was such a unique um, experience as well in terms of just being more involved on what business was being brought into the hotel Mm -hmm. Um, being there, being my first hotel
1: job, working as a bellman,
0: right? And it's driving
1: driving the airport shuttle back and forth to BWI airport every morning.
0: (laughs) And it's the first interaction that a guest encounters with the staff. So you are that first line. Um, and it's people, great leaders that I've had over the years and over the positions that I've been in that have helped kind of instill that faith and empowerment in you to be the best that you possibly can because you play such an integral role. It does not matter what position you are, um, even to where I'm at today, I go down and I try to spend time with our front desk agents, valet team, um, anybody I can to ensure that they feel that you know they're being noticed when they do great things, that it's not just, oh, I'm gonna sit in you know a third floor office or wherever anyone's sales office is within a building um, and hide away. Yeah. Sometimes we, we can forget that there are certain things that lead to a high top line revenue and bottom line. Um, And it's, it's being hospitality forward. It's, it's, it's making sure that we're engaging with each other because hell we spend most of our days together versus, you know, our own families. It's, it's being one with our team.
1: And it's interesting because I remember thinking back on, I've talked a lot about it on the, on the, on the pod about kind of my experience and just starting out in the industry. And some people, when they're undergraduate degrees, I mean, we, We say something, and I will continue to say it until I'm blue in the face, that education doesn't replace work experience and work experience doesn't replace education. You got to have both. And some people, when they're doing their undergraduate, say, well, should I pick up a part-time job? Should I, you know, while I'm a student, I say, absolutely. And they will say, well, what kind of job should I get? And I'll say, find an entry-level job to get your foot in the door. If you're interested in hotels, go be a bellman, go be a valet, go be a front desk agent. Go be a host in a restaurant. Those line level positions are incredibly valuable. They, they are not complex jobs. Let's not, let's, let's be completely honest. They're, they're not difficult, but what they do is they help starting to build some of those soft skills that you're going to need later on in the industry. They're going to build critical thinking ability that every single bag that I took out of a car and took up to a room was different, different in size, different in expectations from the guests, different quantity. Sometimes there's a bell card, sometimes there's not. The list goes on and on of the problems that you run into at the front desk. That from critical thinking to communication skills to understanding how different departments work together interchangeably in a hotel, these line level positions are worth their weight in gold from an experience standpoint. And it sounds like you did just that, that you got your foot in the door and started to figure out, okay, what, what do I want to do? What don't I want to do? And as soon as possible, start building up that that toolbox, if you will, um, that you would need later on in your career.
0: Well, I think that's in conjunction of doing that at the same time as being a part of the school of hospitality leadership. It was also enhancing and driving some of that push to say, "Gosh, what are the other avenues?" Because it's not as if we just dabbled into you know the operations side. It was looking into uh, revenues. It was setting you know ADR or your pricing structures. Um, I remember a project that we had that was that went through that and you were in teams of two or three and trying to build a strategy over a 10-week period, which, again, just got your mind thinking of, well, gosh, these are other areas. And then you can take that to the workplace and try to build on it and try to ask questions and be involved in as much as you possibly can. I mean, that's the one piece of advice I give to anybody is to continue um, to ask questions, continue to follow up, continue to be just present yourself in a way that you want to learn as much as you possibly can because people notice it.
1: Mm-hmm. And even at even at school, outside of the classroom, but still staying kind of within the the collegiate experience. I mean, you were very involved in co curricular activities, whether it's in the school of hospitality leadership in things like the mentor program, but you also were very involved in things not related to hospitality, like hockey? I mean, what, what was the thought process behind that? And, and was it purely just the love of sport? Or were you thinking that there was other development opportunities by getting engaged in co-curricular experiences?
0: Well, I think it's kind of um, something that I've always been a part of team sports. Um, from when the time I was at a young age, I always wanted to play hockey. And again, it sounds crazy for a kid from San Jose, California to say that, um, where not too many people at the time in the early 1990s knew what hockey really even was. Taking a team sport and all that it embodies, because it's, again, everyone can be a leader in their own way, but at the end of the day, it's majority of the team and that team aspect building a great culture and environment. And I think for me, that helps people engage. That helps communication. I think that's helped me to be better involved in, you know, whether it's certain groups outside of work, whether it's the hospitality young professionals through the IHLA, um, which was originally, I, I was a part of it when it was the under 30 gateway. And now I believe it's all technically under 40, which is fantastic because now it feels like people have a home, you know, people have a home to now be involved in. Um, it's mm-hmm. getting involved with the Choose Chicago partnership events. Yeah. Um, it's It's continuously talking to other people within the industry to build your network. And that can't be overstated.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's kind of a segue into, you know, getting involved in these professional associations. I mean, you are... You are extremely involved in these professional associations, and I think that for people just starting out in their career, this is one of those things that they maybe um, one overlook. Two, if they haven't, if they if they're aware of it and they're not overlooking it, they're maybe a little bit apprehensive about joining. They're they're saying, you know what, I oh man, I I don't want to go into a room full of GMS and and you know what if I what if I say something stupid, you know I. I'm, I'm still relatively young. They're going to think that I'm, I'm not qualified. But these associations, whether it's HSMAI, IHNLA, they are welcoming of people early on in their careers, and they provide so much value to you in many different facets, correct?
0: Absolutely. All it does is open yourself up to future opportunities. Um, and whatever that might be for each individual, you know, it, it, it will become as long as you just continue to stay up with it.
1: And there's and it's there's development opportunities there too. I mean, there's certificates, there's workshops, there's programs. It's it's not just about going to have a happy hour second Tuesday of the month. I mean, you actually can do things and you can get credentials, and it it is it truly is a development opportunity as well as a just purely a way to become more engaged with the industry.
0: Correct, and I think that you know even through me throughout the pandemic, of course, a little bit slower in terms of a day-to-day, but wanted to continue my education and got a certificate through Cornell um, online for uh, hotel investment and asset management, which to me was a totally unique side of the field um, to just see what, and be What made you do
1: in. that? Like, what, what was the thought process behind that?
0: You know, there really wasn't much at, originally at first, but it, it was just I wanted to continue to grow my education for the industry that I love and as well be more valuable you know, come down the line for myself, whether it's through the company first hospitality that I work for and just be more knowledgeable. I mean, it brought me into a whole nother side of, you know, looking at more in depth at P something that technically is your, whether it's a sales and marketing analyst or coordinator sales manager, you're not always looking into those, you know, items as often as you'd like to um, but seeing more facets that then you can take that back to the workplace and ask more and more questions and try to be in, as involved as you possibly can.
1: Are you, are you thinking about where you want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or are you kind of just riding the wave and
0: seeing where it takes you? Currently riding the wave. I, I think that you can have all these different goals and achievements that you want to hit, but a little bit of what I've learned in, over the last you know couple of years is live in the moment, do the best with it what you can, um, and push yourself. And I think that, again, whatever type of achievement or level that you want to get to, you certainly can if you just you know hold your hold your mind to it.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the questions that I would say it's become more, a more common question. I think it was always on people's minds. I mean, decades ago when I went to hotel school, it was on my mind, but even still today it's on people's minds, but maybe it's people feel more comfortable talking about it. What, and it's the relates to kind of work-life balance that this is an industry that we would, I think, both agree is 24-7, 365. It never stops. People starting out early in their career are hungry. They want to make a good impression. But the reality of it is from your physical and mental well-being, you need to have that balance. How do you, Pierce, create work-life balance in an era of, listen, 24-7, 365, the business is open, which means 24-7, 365, somebody could want a book with you and you could get that sale We. We have no barometer to say that only, only people inquire about blocking rooms between nine and five, Monday through Friday. H- how do you and your role in sales create that work-life balance? And what advice would you give to somebody maybe new to their career or maybe somebody that's already established looking to enhance their work-life balance?
0: Well, to be honest, um, I tend to work very hard, but it doesn't mean I'm not having fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think I lead by example in that sense. A little bit. Um, again, I think through uh, having great upbringing, great education, um, including yourself, Dr. Nick, in terms of help building that side of me. But I think all the hours that we put in, and again, kind of being available at all hours, because you kind of have to be, It's I've really been trying to work on that separation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just again, try to be as here and as present as possible while I'm working, but try to ensure that I take a little bit of time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's never perfect. I just like, uh, everybody in anything, you can have moments of struggle within it, but it's trying to detach myself, maybe a little bit of time for my cell phone. I've really, um, I love golf. I love going out and playing whenever I can, but if I can get five hours in nature and really just kind of toss away the cell phone for a little bit, for me, that's perfect. That recharges the batteries, but as well, just going, you know, hanging out with friends, girlfriend, family, as much as you possibly can, and, and exploring the city, doing what I love. And if you do what you love, I don't consider it work.
1: You'll never work a day in your life if you do what you love.
0: Correct. Um, so again, you're always going to have there's ebbs and flows in terms of what that looks like for everybody. But you know, if you, if you really enjoy what you do and, and just spend time outside of you know, the, the standard workday, if you will, doing other items that you, that you do love, It's pretty easy to help keep that balance.
1: I think it also relates to, and I still, when I was in the industry and even still today, when I'm kind of in academia, I think it also ties into surrounding yourself with people that you trust and surrounding yourself with people that are competent, surrounding yourself with people that are empowered to make decisions, and realizing that the backbone of this industry is the people. And realizing that if you surround yourself with great people, It permits you, it gives you permission to have a work life balance, that you don't need to carry the burden. Even if you're David Duncan, the CEO and president of First Hospitality, he still surrounds himself with great people and he still makes time for himself. That you you have to do that because this is an industry that you will absolutely burn out if you don't have a work life balance. So surrounding yourself with people that if you do need to take some time, the sales ball isn't dropped at your hotel that there's still people that are competent, that can still speak highly of the property, speak about what differentiates it, speak about why Chicago is a great city to come to. Um, so that's a big part of it as well. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you do still appreciate that balance. As we kind of wrap up, I want to maybe pivot to some of your your sage advice for students. We're heading into that time of year. Students are getting ready to graduate, final academic term of the year. They're saying, you know, where, where do I want to go work? What do I want to do? And quite often the reality of it is you know being in sales in one hotel company versus another hotel company perhaps isn't that dramatically different in terms of the knowledge skills and abilities that that you need but what differentiates it is the company that you go work for and i'm curious what advice you would have for graduating students or maybe people thinking about entering this industry about what to look for in a company and how to say i want to go to company a versus company b what what does what does Pierce look for in a good organization to work for?
0: That's a fantastic question. Um, I was very lucky and fortunate to eventually find my way to First Hospitality. And again, they're located in Rosemont, moving their offices downtown in this summer, um, which is great. They've got 55 or 56 hotels, and I could be butchering that number, but growing. And it's mainly within the Midwest, um, but growing coast to coast. You know, a company with a great leader at the helm, um, listening into Mr. Duncan's, uh, podcast with you. Um, it just even helps enhance that feeling, um, of where this company in particular is going. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I just, what I look for is people that'll do right by you do right by the people that work for the company, advance, grow, not as look for anybody that's, whether it's possibly shedding properties, um, but looking to continue to grow and get better building up a great corporate team. Because sometimes when you are new to the industry, you're just looking at what a hotel is, the flag that's on the building. It's not always that way. There's a great company behind that normally. Um, And and again, I I would do your research on it. I would try to find and identify who possibly a, what management company or ownership group is behind each property and do your research, ask questions. It's never a bad thing to do throughout an interview process either. And I think it's gonna be well-respected By the folks that you're talking with. So I'd encourage people to continue to fact find. And, you know, again, I've been very fortunate with this company. They've been great to me and as well, a lot of other people. Um, And I think we're starting to see that growth, which is truthfully very exciting.
1: Well, Pierce, I couldn't be more proud of you. You've, you have really done an amazing job. You are the embodiment of the hospitality spirit. You've You've come out from the West Coast to California, or from California to Chicago, and you have you have absolutely made a mark. And you're also the embodiment of what we like to do here in the School of Hospitality Leadership, creating truly leaders to go out into the industry and have an immediate impact. And uh, genuinely, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today.
0: Absolutely, thank you for having me. It's been a ton of fun. I guess we could say this is a buildup of 11 or 12 years um, it's true. Of topics to kind of go yeah, through.
1: We'll, but we'll, we'll, we'll get you on. The, we'll, we'll get everybody on the podcast at one time or another. It, it just might take a decade.
0: Right? No, but I uh, really appreciate it.
1: All right, Pierce. Good luck. And uh, I hope the upcoming convention season continues to be a success and uh, it's well deserved. And I hope you have a great, non typical week ahead.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Of town, Chicago is
1: my kind. People too
0: People who